Well, it's planting season around the McCoy Ranch. Um, we have a radish project that we have to do for our third grader. And, um, and the sheet tells you clearly that you have to plant by such and such date. We're running a little behind schedule, so I'm seeing some miracle, extra miracle grow. We'll probably burn the fire out of the seeds, but we, you know, we got to get it going. And there's certain things with planting and seeds you just can't hurry up. You, you, you know, you can't, if the project, if the radish is due next Friday, you know, you can't plant it on Thursday, although we're going to try. So, uh, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> no, we're, uh, no we're, we're on target. We're, we're getting there in the ground and everything. And, and our youngest, our second grader, he loves to plant stuff. He'll, you know, we're eating an orange, and he'll he'll find the seed, and he'll just be out in the back planting it, and of course with the expectation that we'll be picking the oranges from the tree next week. Um, nothing has come up from the ground yet. I'm suspicious of how he's actually planting and all whatnot. But when you think about planting and growing, there is a an element. There's a process that is not as exciting as the growth part. And it's basically the death part. Now, there's a buzzkill for you. You know, when you're talking about growing and the excitement of, of, of fruit and all the things that come with that, there is a process of loss, of death. You take an orange. That, that orange had to lose a seed in order to be planted in the ground. We would rather talk about growth and life and produce and, and fruit and all those things. That's much more palatable. That's much more enjoyable. Not many of us like to talk about loss, death. Those are areas in our lives that are not as uh, attractive. And yet Jesus was very clear when he said these words in John chapter 12. Very, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it does pr produce many seeds. So what he's saying, if you want to talk about the excitement of growth, if you want to enjoy the produce of a plant, then that means you're going to have to go through this process of falling to the ground of death, of loss. Now, most people I know uh, um, don't enjoy that. But Jesus begins this statement, and he begins a number of statements this way. Um, in the old version, it's, Verily I say unto you. Here we, in this particular version, um, Very truly I tell you. What he's saying in those words, whenever I hear Christ say those words, there's something in me that just kicks in because he's saying, guys, check it out, all right? Check it out. Here is an inescapable reality. It's like I'm, he's, he's like saying, I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, don't miss this one. Don't miss this one. Truly, I'm telling you something that's so right on, so, um, so real, so part of the experience of life. Don't miss this one. The things that grow have to die first. The things that produce 
have to go through a process of losing before we gain. Now, most people I know don't like loss. I don't. I don't like losing things. In fact, I hate losing things. I lose things a lot. It's strange. Every week I come into church, I have a thumb drive which has files on it that I put on the computer and they have graphics and whatnot. Today, I picked it up and I said, I, I don't forget the thumb drive, Steve. I put it in this pocket. It's gone. I have no idea where it, where it is. Somewhere between my thought of pick this up, Steve, and thinking I put it in my pocket, it's probably in the bathroom beside my razor. I have, I, and you hate that, right? Most reality shows these days, like American Idol is getting the wheels turning on the locomotive, if you're an American Idol person, doesn't matter if you're top chef or top design or uh, top shot, there's a lot of top shows out, and there's one winner at the end of the season, right? But actually, the show is about losing. Every single week, no one wins until the very end. Every week is about losing. American Idol starts with tens of thousands of people all over the country who lose. And then they whittle it down to those who go to Hollywood. And all, a lot of them are going to lose. And then some of them, you know, go on, but they're going to lose. So every week, and you know how, if you've ever watched American Idol, the whole thing is a buildup. I can't even stand to watch it anymore unless I tape it or TiVo because there's this dramatic, you know, they lower the lights and, and they're lowering the lights because there's going to be a loser, you know, and then... Then they say, well, okay, now, Bob, you stand here, and Mary, you stand here, and then Chuck, and then Jim are over here, and, and then, so, who did I say, Bob and Chuck or whoever are over here, and then these two can go over there because you're safe, safe from losing, and all of us would love to be safe from losing, but old poor Bob and Chuck are over here, and somebody's going to lose. After this commercial break. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> and then, after all that buildup, Chuck loses that week. Chuck, why don't you sing us a song? I'm like, really? <laughs> Their lips are trembling because they're a loser. <laughs> And they're singing something beautiful and they're crying because they're a loser. And so I'm changing the name to American Loser because that's mainly what this show is about. We don't like to lose. I worked with a pastor one time, a pretty shady guy, and we were going to have a... A game night to get to know people in our church. We were going to play Monopoly. No joke. The man sneaks in his entire bankroll from his own Monopoly game. <laughs> and he's shifting it in the game as we're playing. He owned everything on the board. We're like, how is this happening? Until we got busted. Like, you brought your own money? Was BYOM? <laughs> My fear 
and concern for the church these days is that it seems more attractive to present Jesus and what you're going to get out of it rather than what you're going to lose. Now, it is true that we gain a peace beyond understanding. But your life may not get better. And if you don't believe it, just have a conversation with a person in uh, Saudi Arabia or Egypt or Iran that would quietly raise their hand for Christ and tell them that everything is going to be okay. And then I think of Jesus when he came to Peter and uh, he said, um, hey, Peter, I notice you're a fisherman. I'm going to ask you to drop your nets. I'm going to ask you to lose your profession. Now, today, what we'd say, Peter, you're getting a new boat. You're going to get a bigger boat. It's going to be twin engine boat. It's going to have sails and wheels. I don't know much about boats, so here we go. I'm getting ready to say something stupid. Thought I'd prepare you for it. It's going to have big stuff on it. <laughs> No, man, you're actually going to lose. You're going to drop the net. And if finally at the end of your life, they're going to murder you because you followed me. Wow, that makes for a good brochure. <laughs> I'm concerned that we, we etch over the reality that when Jesus says, Hey, guys, really, I'm telling you something that's true in order to be able to come to me, then you're going to have to lose. But here's the thing. When Jesus, some people have argued with Jesus' statement. When, when he says, look, unless a kernel of wheat, unless a seed of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't produce life. Because actually, a seed, when it falls to the ground, has an embryo of life still left in it. See, death in the Scripture doesn't always mean it's over. Adam was told, if you eat from the tree that, that I'm telling you not to eat from, if you eat from it, you'll die. Crunch, took a bite, didn't die on the surface. But inside he died. But there was still the potential, the embryo of something coming back to life. It wasn't totally dead. When we die to Christ... And we'll ex I'm going to explain what that means. When there is spiritual death, it doesn't mean that it's all over. Even when we believe in Christ and we physically die, the Bible is very clear it's not over. There's an embryo in us, our soul, that will live forever like we sang about this morning. For me, that helps me get out of the bed in the morning knowing that there is this embryo, this spark that can actually just bring forth life when I go to die. Jesus was absolutely brilliant when it came to botany, agriculture. He was speaking to a culture that that's what they did. 
And they understood the principle that when something like a wheat seed dropped to the, to the soil, that it would bear fruit and it would come up. And it's a paradox. It's something that you think, well, it's dying and yet it's living. It's dying and living. In Matthew 10, Jesus said this in verse 39, whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And we understand clearly that it's both, right? There's the, we, we get up to this point that in order to grow, you have to die. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 6, we read this. There is a time to get and a time to lose. The Christian faith is not, not, not all about getting. It's just not. And if someone told you that, they were incorrect according to Christ himself. It is a time to lose, but the beauty of it that Christ is saying is that when we lose, there's something hidden like an embryo. See, you can't see an embryo. There's something, it's like a, a child inside you, that embryo. You can't see it physically with the naked eye, but what's going to happen? A life is going to be born beautiful, incredible, miraculous. But you have to die first. Look at this in John chapter 12 and 24 again. Same verse. Very truly I say. Watch these two key words. Unless. Unless. See the truth. Not only lies in this paradox. And when something dies it comes to life again. But the truth he's saying is. There's a condition here. And he's using the word unless. And the word if. And he says it very clearly, unless, if it doesn't happen, it's not going to happen, right? If it doesn't die, it's not going to live. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, it dies, it remains only a single scene. But if it dies, and only if it dies, and really only if it dies, it comes to life. We're in some conversations about do hard things. And I think that these hard things apply to each of us personally on an individual basis. There are times, as we're going to see, that we need to die individually to certain things. Um, there are times, though, as a community, together, that we say, let's die to certain things so that other things can come to life. There are embryos planted, I believe, in a community that if they are obedient, if they're listening, if they can buy into that reality, that truth, then something amazing will actually come out of it. In this series, in this collection of conversations that we're having about doing hard things, I believe that there are certain things that, are, that we're trying to draw in and focus on that are specific to the vision that God has laid on us as a church of 360. We've talked about those for a number of weeks. And in our um, culture at 360, we believe in growing relationships small. That is absolutely difficult. It's hard. For me, I've not been in uh, many churches that even that I've led that we are, we are trying, in, um, not even trying, we are intentionally uh, creating environments where that happens. 
And in order to get into that small circle, circle person-to-person relationship, it's tough. And there are certain difficult things that have to take place. In our culture, we believe that coachability is a big deal. We spent a week speaking about that, that if you're a leader in this environment, in this culture, you have to be coachable because we believe I'm coachable. I'm guessing, I'm not kidding, I'm more coached than anybody in this room. We do not believe in the solo maverick pastor that knows it all, although I do know it all. Just kidding. (laughs) I love to be coached as a leader. I love the team. And and there are those that, man, they can groove with that and be in rhythm with that. There's others that are not. And quite honestly, if that's not part of your wiring, that that means probably you're not going to be part of that team because coachability is hard. It's hard to be coached. So when we talk about dying today, there is something that I believe that we experience here that we'll have to experience at 360 about dying that is very specific to the vision that God has laid out for us. Now, I want to just, if you'll allow me, about five minutes, I'm going to jump in the classroom here so you put your thinking caps on. Because there are actually, when I say, hey, got great news for you, Jesus is calling you to die today. Yay! I'll see you next week. Have a great one. I mean, that's kind of a, that's a hard spot. But I got worse news than that. There's actually <laughs> levels of death that we experience. It's not just a one-time thing when Jesus said, look, to Peter, drop your nets. I'm asking you to lose there. That was just the first of many layers of loss and death. We begin with our condition. When we are without Christ, and there may be some, I'm guessing there are some in the room that would say, man, I don't even know what that means. When someone spoke to me at first about Christ after growing up in the church, and I was uh, in my early 20s, do you know Christ? I'm like, I have no, I, I don't even know what you mean by that. After being in church for over 20 years, I had no idea what it meant to know Christ, to have a relationship, to not just have a theory or a belief intellectually, but to have exchanged my old life for his new one, to surrender my way of thinking to his and embrace his way of thinking into mine, to actually have, as the scriptures tell us, as Jesus said, an, a, a new measurable beginning. It's called the second birth in the scriptures, but a new origin, uh, what I would even call a zero spiritual origin where it starts. You're, Jesus said you're born physically But there comes a time in your life that doesn't happen when you're an infant, but it happens when you get to a place that you can make a decision where you say, I want Christ in my life, and no one can do that for you. Before that moment, bad news, you're dead. We're dead. In other words, we were born with a spirit that needed to be and uh, uh, alive, be, be brought to life. That's why Christ said, you have to be born 
a second time in your spirit because it's dead. In the scriptures, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says this, As for you, that's me and you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live before Christ when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that is our enemy, the, 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 the devil, the spirit who is now in, at work in those who are disobedient, which included us before we came to Christ. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, here it is, made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Now, for us that know the Scripture, we've heard this a lot. If you're hearing it and you find yourself like, man, I think I'm dead, my guess if you are like me, you're clinging on to those words because even though I grew up in church, when Christ had prepared me to listen and to hear I'm like, wow, I can be made alive. I mean, there can be something that happens in my spirit that I can turn from death to life. And if you are in that place, here's the thing that God does. I will bring you to life so that you will see things differently. You'll live life differently. Your worldview will be different. No new boat, not promising that. But your mindset about life will be different. It is not just an intellectual understanding that a man named Jesus died on a cross and rose again from the dead. It is not. I wish growing up that I had heard those words because that's what I thought it was. I check Christian on the box, on every application and every form, because I agreed with the fact that I chose the truth that Jesus was the, was, died on the cross and all that, as opposed to I didn't believe in the, the concept or the belief of the Muslim faith or, or the Hindu faith or any of that. I just said, well, that's the, that's the box I check. But the reality was... I was dead in my spirit. And there was an embryo of life that God wanted to bring to life. Now, I'm guessing that there's someone here that would say, man, that's me. That's me. And I, I cannot encourage you. It will be the best decision of your life to say, Christ Awaken me. Christ, come. Beyond, beyond all the theological things I know and understand, but Christ in reality come and awaken me. And that came because someone died so that you could be alive, just like we're talking about. Here's how that happened. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of one man, that's Adam, through the many were made sinners mysteriously, so also through the disobedience of one man will the, will the obedience of one, the one man, the many will be righteous. What that means is because there was a, because God came to earth in the form of a human in the name of Jesus Christ, and he laid himself on a cross and he, dro- he lost. 
He lost. He, he died. His, that kernel of wheat dropped to the ground so that in us this life may come alive. That's it. I could break into another worship song right now. And with those of us that have heard it for over and over and over, it's good for us to even hear it again to say, Wow, thank you again, God, that I was dead and now I'm alive again. Now get out of here. I'll see you next week. It's just a miracle, but it doesn't stop there. When we make that decision, the next level of death happens when I say, Okay, God, I'm going to take myself, my ego, my motives, my my uh, the capital I in my life, and I'm going to lay it down. Just like Peter said, I'm dropping the, the big me here. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not have set aside the, the, the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. That is a lot. I will never, you, some of you have heard me say it, I will never forget the first time I came back to the church I grew up with, but Christ was alive in me, and it was at Christmas, during Christmas break, and, and uh, we were singing Joy to the World. I was home for college. And man, it's like I never saw those words before in my life. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. You know how it is when you first come a Christian. He has come. Like every, I, We knew that. Just calm down there, cowboy. I mean, you know. <laughs> it's the first step of death for us when we come to Christ. But it's not the one we're going to talk about today. Although it seems like I'm running my mouth because I'm pretty excited about it. The next level of death we're called to is baptism. Where we say, God, before everybody, before everybody, I'm going to go through this picture, this physical picture of something that's happened in Galatians chapter, no, Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. We were therefore buried with him, died with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's kind of like that contract you sign and you say, God, I'm dead to myself. I'm going to be baptized. I want to be raised again. We had a baptism service in a swimming pool out in the parking lot a few months ago. 20 people said, man, I'm dead to myself. I'm alive. It's the next level of death. But that's not the one we're going to talk about today. There's a next step of death. You think, real dude, there's only too much death I can handle on one Sunday morning. There's a death of obedience of putting away, in Colossians chapter 3, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. In other words, when we come at, as a Christian, kind of wish someone told me this as well, you kind of learn along the way that when I become a, a Christ is alive in me, I, and I, I'm going to be perfect, and I won't wrestle with anything. And all that junk in my closet is going to be instantly gone. And it just doesn't happen that way. If you're struggling with something and you're a Christian, 
we're going to ask you to leave during the next prayer. God, thank you. No. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. And what Christ says to do is not just try to work yourself over it, not try to, to get enough self-help books that you can, but begin to put it to death. It's the next level of death so that Christ may live in you. Then there's another, but that's not the one we're talking about today, by the way. There's a death that we submit to the Spirit and we take that old flesh and say, God, I just, there's too much of me. Like John the Baptist says, I must become less, you must become greater. And it's a submission to the Spirit where the Spirit of God just says, man, you're going to have more of me because there's less of you. There, you're, the Spirit of God is, you can walk in the Spirit of God where all these, this, this junk in your life is just not at the top of your list any longer. Uh, Romans chapter 8 says this, If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep up with step in the Spirit. Okay, what, that we're, what the Scripture is saying is that you can't get over your junk by yourself. You say, God, I need your spirit to come and do a work in me that I can't do. Otherwise, you will be a guilt-ridden Christian the rest of your life. And you'll say, what's wrong with me? I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. And the scriptures say, then die to it. Quit trying and say, Holy Spirit, come and live in me so that I can live a life that is pleasing. Not perfect, but pleasing. But that's not the one we're going to talk about today. <laughs> and here's why. It is my sense of things that no matter who you are and where you are, no matter um, what stage of your Christian life, that everything I've spoken about should be standard. It should be just part of the Christian life. We have to die to self to be crucified in order that Christ lives in us. There's no other way. Jesus, that's when he says, unless, unless you die to yourself and be crucified and say, God, here's my life. I, I lay it down. I want yours. Unless you do that, it doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. Unless you say to, to God, look, I, I, wanna, I want the whole thing to be open and public and I'm going to be baptized in front of the world and just take my life, God. I want to say that to the world. Unless you're willing to do that, if you're embarrassed to do that, God can't just come alive in you. How could he come alive if, you, if we're too chicken to say, do that in, in public? And I was, so I can say the word chicken. It's not pointed at you, it's pointed at me. If we're not willing to say, God, I, I need your help to crucify these things in my life that, I just, that are just like a, a chihuahua around my ankle. Not to offend anyone has a chihuahua. <laughs> I can't shake it. 
I mean, all these things should be part of the core of us as Christians. That's obvious to me. But there's one that is less obvious, and that's what we're going to talk about. There's a level of loss, a level of death that is so critical, not only to, I believe, where God wants to take us, but even specific to a community of faith, a church that's saying, let's put relationships really, really, not just theory, but really at the centerpiece of our table. And it's the death that is required in having a small circle relationship. Watch this. Um, We begin in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to hover here for just a minute. Philippians chapter 2, very well-known verse. In fact, it's a form of a hymn. It's interesting, Um, not life-changing, but it's just interesting. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, we begin. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Man, that's tough. We could park right there. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There's going to already, you get a feeling that there's a loss of us in that equation. That means it requires of us a different mindset. And he even goes into saying in the next verse, and your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, that word mindset is not just think like him, but it's being in a state of mind like him. There's a difference. A state of mind is like, okay, this is who I am. If, if I'm in a state of mind, then I, this is just how I operate. How I react will be determined by my state of mind. I came to jazz night, not because I love jazz, although I do. Not because there were great musicians, although there were. Not because there were tasty desserts or any of that. I came to meet somebody I didn't know because it's a mindset I'm not going for myself. So when we come together, if we, not that anyone would ever think this, I'm going and I hope the music is good. And I'm going because the dude up there in the green shirt, hope I get something out of that. That's all fine. All of us need that. I need to be fed. I want a a worship experience. But what God is calling us to here is a, a mindset that values others not equal to but above me. So that when I walk in a room, it's not like, here I am. It's, oh, there you are. Ann Landers, by the way. The gospel according to Anne. (laughs) It's a different mindset. You see how that flips? Now, what's about to happen is, watch this. Punctuation is critical. It's so teeny. In fact, I'm planning a series, the gospel according to, I'm going to have a bunch of punctuation. It looks like we're cussing. Ha, that'll really get people in. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) In your relationships with one another, 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, colon. Because the colon magnifies what's coming next, if you know anything about punctuation. The colon says, um, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, colon, which, which means, which I'm about to tell you, and what's going to follow is all related back to, here's how you have relationships. Here's the mindset of Christ in regards to relationships, and it's all about death. Yippee! <laughs> More death on Sunday morning. This is such a happy place. Have the mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, in other words, equal to God, did not consider that position, equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Perhaps the most important word in Scripture, rather. He could have said, I'm God. I can do what I want. Rather, he did something different. I'm not only king of the hill, I'm king of the universe. Rather, he made himself nothing. Don't forget, this is tethered back. This is how you have relationships. By taking on the very nature of a servant. Servants don't own nothing, don't have nothing, have no say. Being in the, made in the likeness, human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man. As a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to a death, even death on a cross. You see, let me break it down for you. Here's what I've experienced of why it's hard to have what we call small circle relationships. The hard thing is it requires loss. You see, when we're meeting on Sunday morning, no loss. Hey, how's it going? That wasn't a loss. In fact, I got a little exercise. Hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? You know how it is the closer you get to a person, that it's like life transfusion. They're taking from your, your giving of yourself. And that is tough. Should I sign up for an act group? Because, see, I'm going to lose a little of myself. What am I going to get? Oh, don't even ask that. Lose. That's the question. Well, I'm not sure I want to lose. Your choice. But if you don't lose, don't forget. You don't gain. You don't gain. It's like Jesus, you remember, he's standing in a crowd, but a lot of people pressing on him. And there was, there was a moment that he said something really weird. Who touched me? Jesus asked in Luke chapter 8. And when they all denied it, Peter, he had the guts enough to say, hey, Jesus, um, you know, the people are crowding and pressing against you. So that question, um, time for a little rest because <clears throat> a lot of people are touching. Like, what do you mean? And he said, no, someone touched me and I know that that power has gone out. 
Because that one person, not the crowd, not this, but that one person came close enough and they needed him in such a way that it drew something out of him. And if you want to get close and enjoy the depth of a small circle relationship, it requires us to lose ourselves, our energy, our schedules, our um, emotions, and to pour into somebody's life. It's draining. I'm not going to kid you. Small circle relationships require loss. But the amazing benefit is that you begin to see life come because you're transfusing your life. It's like you're taking something off of you and putting it on them. And it's tough. It's tough to take it off and put it on. A few years ago, I told some of you this story. I, I was, um, when I go to the beach, I'm not one to take my shirt off. Uh, I just feel weird about it. I know it's nothing wrong with it, so don't get me wrong. You know, it's not getting some legal. I just, you know, first of all, I'm not Arnold, and uh, <laughs> ladies have a cover-up. They don't have one for guys, but I wish they did. <laughs> so I get those, um, those shirts that surfers wear. You've seen them? You know, they're kind of stretchy, and you look cool when you, so you don't look like a nerd at the beach with a sweater. So when I go to the beach, I get those, the, I don't even know what they're called. They're water shirts or something, right? Whatever. <laughs> So I, I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get myself one. And so I went to some place on 41, and um, I'm looking around, and I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, so I get this shirt that looks okay on the hanger, and it's a very small store. And uh, they only have one dressing room, you know, like those louver doors where you can see everything from the knee down. I hate those things. You know, it's like, okay, who's looking? You know, you feel kind of exposed. You're, and then people are milling around. So I take my cool shirt and I go in there and, um, and, and I was having a little hard time getting it on, quite frankly, because there's a, there's a deadly ingredient in those kind of shirts. It's called spandex. And so it said a large, which... I, I was good with, and so I, I put it on, and I knew I should have known something's wrong when I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I look worse than if I had taken my shirt off. You know, it's showing everything. So I'm in this little thing with my knees down, showing to the people that are mill. You can see people going back and forth, and I'm in there. I'm like, I got to get this thing off. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, a, a mad wolverine in a dressing room. And I'm like, you know, I can't get it off. I didn't have a cell phone or else I would have called in a bomb scare. You know, everybody leave and just cut it off or something, you know. After much struggle and sweat, dude, I'm sweating in there. I get the finally off and there are monster deodorant marks all over it <laughs> really so now I'm in there alright confession spitting on the shirt 
And then I came out, uh, everything good? Sure, yeah, just kind of put it on the shelf. I'm like, get out to the car. It's been 40 minutes. My wife was waiting in the car. What took you so long? Forget it, I'm not even telling you. I, I see this picture, and it's like, I want to I wanna get a little, I want to go to the next circle, but I know that it's going to be tough for me to take myself off and to die. It's subtle. But let me tell you something. Unless, unless, don't miss it. I'm telling you. Jesus is saying, guys, this is real. Very truly, I say to you, unless you die, you won't gain. I'll say to you, unless you're willing to say, all right, in your relationships, let your mindset be the same as Christ Jesus who laid his life down for others, you will live your life as a get-it-all Christian. And I know that's tough to say. Even subconsciously, unintentionally, you're not, no one's going to set out and say, I'm going to be a selfish Christian. Nobody's going to say that about themselves. But over time, this is what happens. Jesus said, don't miss it unless you do this, then this. When I look at the scriptures, um, I one of the I've said this before. One of the model relationships was between David and Jonathan. David was a king, one of the greatest kings of Israel. Jonathan was the son of a king. And then First uh, Samuel chapter eighteen, it's a great picture. Jonathan became one spirit with David. He loved him as he loved himself. And I'm telling you, that's tough. That's hard. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing. He gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, his belt, everything that was important. And sometimes it we get to the to certain intersections of our life. I don't know if it's if you're that way, but it is for me. And we say to ourselves, I'm in it just for me. This is not right. I'm in it for what I'm getting, and it's just not right. And I believe that God uses those moments. Yesterday on Facebook, my wife's aunt, who's a very successful business person, in San Diego, she has a business in San Diego and a business in Phoenix and I think Nevada, they, and she's always on a plane. She posts this on Facebook yesterday. We get a second chance at life today. On the Southwest flight from Vegas to San Diego, they had a fire. I saw this on Fox News. First there was smoke, then haze, then the plane fell, ear pain and instantly cold. We pre prepared for an emergency landing. The pilot said, prepare for crash landing. We were given instructions. Everyone got quiet, and we all prayed. 
reevaluating my life. You only got so much time on the playing field. And Christ calls us to loss so that something great may come in. I'd like to tell you that small, the small circle relationships I have hasn't, haven't cost me anything. That'd be the great way to put it in a brochure. Oh, it's easy. It's not easy. It's not. But the most valued thing I have in my entire life are small circle relationships. It's where the jazz comes. It's where the jazz comes. And it's weird because it's an embryo that's hidden that you can miss. When Jesus said, if you lose your life, you'll find it. I'm telling you, a lot of people won't find it. But when you pour yourself into someone else's life and you take off your own self, your own wants, your own motives, your own schedule, and you pour it into somebody else's life and you, and you say, wow, whoo, there's growth. Wow, Chuck's growing. It's really, oh, this is awesome. It was worth every loss. And Christ, at the end of his life, models it for us. Today, we're going to celebrate a picture of what that means. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. Jesus sat around at the end of his life with his friends, and he said, look, guys, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen My body is going to be broken. The blood that runs through my veins is going to be shed. But as I read this passage, this experience they had, focus on two words. Watch this. He took, Jesus took bread at that table. He gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. I'm dying, guys, for you. Small circle, for you. My loss, for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. For you. So many levels of loss in the Christian life, but at each level, this embryo of life just just jumps out. Don't be afraid of small circle. Don't be afraid of moving from the big circle to the next circle for our at groups with relationships within this community. Don't be afraid of it. I'm telling you it's hard, but it is worth everything. It is worth that life. You're going to, you're going to, people are coming back to me now. It's like, I'm getting it. It's happening. It's growing. I've never seen so much excitement. You will not get the same excitement out of a church program. Not happening. Won't happen. Wasn't God's intention. But out of the thing that God said, look, let this mindset be in you that was in Christ. Die for others. Let's pray. God, thank you for being honest with us. Thank you, God, for not sugarcoating it. And thank you, God, like spoiled kids, we we wouldn't want to get everything, God. It's not what it's about. Thank you, Father, for 
the process of life that, that unless we die to certain things, we'll never experience the embryo of life that just burst forth into something that we had so unexpected. And so it is with our relationships, God. It is a scary thing to make ourselves vulnerable. It is a scary thing to say, God, I, or to someone else, I need, I need a small circle. Or I, I need, I'm going to step into a group of people I don't even know. It's a, it's a scary thing for us, God. It's a hard thing. But I pray, God, that you across this room would move in your spirit to help us to die to that reservation. God, just if we think today, if you, were, had, if you had had reservations about coming to earth, if you had said to yourself, I'm not going, it's too risky, I'll get beat up, I'll get rejected, I'll get killed, and had you not come, God, not a single one of us would be sitting in this room alive in our spirit. So, Father, as we remember what Christ did for us, that he made himself nothing today in this celebration of bread and and juice, God, as you've told us to remember you, we ask that you bless it. But we ask, God, that you bless it in remembering it in us, bringing a memory of it in us, of galvanizing the truth, unless we die, we don't live. I pray, God, for those that when the words were spoken that we're dead in our sins and that Christ will make us alive, clinging on to every word, saying, that's me, that's me, that's me. I pray that in in this time, God, and this day, that they would say, Christ, come in me and make me alive. Forgive my sins, God, bring my deadness to life. I pray, Father, that your spirit would move and and shake and convince in a way, God, that we cannot. And so, God, as we commit ourselves to you, hungry, God, for you, we ask, God, that you move in our hearts to die, to lose, so that we might experience life for Jesus. Amen. Amen.